Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR Digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, everybody. It's Annie here for Solidarity Breakfast, and we've got an action-packed program for you today, all about politics, all about what's going on in Australia at the moment. Uh, uh, We're going to uh, hopefully have a uh, talk about uh, the prospect of Australia going to war with America. No, not with America, as its sidekick, as a a potential target being Iran, the next... uh, Next uh, prospect for American um, attack, uh, we're going to talk to uh, Richard Boronowski from IPAN who uh, has got something to say about uh, what's going on in that s- uh, sphere. Uh, we're going to move on to the uh, increasing level of legislative uh, approaches by the uh, federal government and some of the state governments to actually undermine the democracy that we live in through increased uh, powers to uh, affect demonstrations, free speech, uh, using uh, the law to actually suppress the these things. And uh, we're going to have a, a talk about that and we're going to specifically go to uh, some of the laws that are being passed in the federal parliament uh, uh, under the guise of protecting Australians from uh, espionage and uh, also more locally in Victoria the uh, issue of the uh, laws being put forward by the Victorian government around freedom of association apparently targeting uh, the uh, rise of youth gangs. But uh, before we do, some um, important messages. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. 3CR's Radical Radio book is now on sale for just 30 You can get your copy of 3CR's book at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. On sale for just $30. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
Hey, what are you doing for National Science Week this year, Stu? Well, one thing I was going to do was go to the Lost in Science Trivia at the Birmingham on Monday the 13th of August. What time is that on again? It starts at 7.30, but get there at 6.30 so you get a good night of trivia and fun. See our Facebook page for more information. As I promised, we're going to have a talk with uh, uh, former diplomat Richard uh, Bronowski about uh, the IPAN release about uh, about uh, potential involvement of Australia in an American attack on Iran. Now, what, what leads IPAN to actually believe this is uh, going to happen? Oh, you're talking to me now, eh? Yeah, I yes. certainly am. Okay, okay. Look, it's it's a, a complex situation. But first, we have to remember that um, Iran has been in the gun sights of the United States for a long time. They've often they've wanted to take out Iran, the, the regime, for, for a long time. They haven't learned anything from the attack in Iraq in 2003 or the, the getting rid of uh, Gaddafi in Libya. And it's just another country that they want to overthrow. They want to take out the theocracy there. To do that, if they're going to invade... Australia would certainly be involved because Pine Gap would be a source of uh, of calculation uh, for missiles that would be launched inevitably from the Sixth Fleet in the in the um, in the Persian Gulf, and we'd be involved probably in other ways too. Our military is deeply embedded with the United States, and if there's to be an invasion, I imagine that there'd be Australian troops there as well. And our government is absolutely gutless in not wanting to. Stir the pot, and despite the uncertainties of President Trump, they're going to stick with it. Now, there's been a, a, a long-term diplomatic approach to Iran's nuclear capability, and we've got to yes. yeah, and we, we've got to note that uh, Iran has no military nuclear military capacity. It's to do with just having nuclear uh, um, domestic. It's a fear. It's a fear. Can you talk about the uh, diplomatic yes. approach that's been taken? I can. Uh, the uh, French, British, Germans, China and Russia joined the United States in developed under President Obama in developing a deal with Iran to abolish many parts of its nuclear program. You're right when you say that the Iranians don't have a nuclear weapons program, although that's always a potential. Under the Shah, when I was serving in Iran back in the 1970s, I think probably the Shah did want to have nuclear weapons because he was paranoid about the Soviet Union at that stage. However, uh, the Iranians went along with that, and very willingly they took away uh, centrifuges that enrich uranium-235. They, um, they uh, abolished a number of their uh, nuclear research facilities and they were in line with the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which meant that they had set back their nuclear program by at least 10 years. President Trump comes on the scene and he wants to overthrow everything that Obama has done before him and in a, in a graceless, uh, entirely crude manner, he says, well, we're going to pull out of this deal. Now, so far, the other parties to that deal have stayed with it. Uh, the trouble is that America imposes sanctions on countries that cooperate with Iran. European countries are worried that there will be sanctions imposed on their companies, and this would mean that there'd be uh, uh, commercial pressure to walk away from the deal as well. That hasn't happened so far, and we can only keep our fingers crossed. The Iranians will stick to the agreement.
Why does the why is Trump so all fired interested in threatening Iran and attacking Iran? Because he's surrounded by by extremely right wing people in Washington who have an, had an agenda since before him. I must say, it goes back to President Bush and, and to, even to Obama. There have been people in Washington who want to overthrow Iran. There's a rich tapestry of history there, right back to. Uh, when the American embassy was attacked and invaded in 1979, when the Ayatollah came back from Europe and the American ambassador and, and 44 of the staff were held hostage for quite some time. But the Americans have a short memory because in 1953, at the behest of the British, they overthrew Mossadegh, the only democratically elected leader in the whole of the Middle East outside Israel, and Mossadegh was overthrown because he nationalised the Iranian oil industry, which is at that stage run and pretty well owned by the British. It was a, very much a capitalist um, investment by the British to to just take the oil from Iran. He didn't want that, and he overthrew it. So, in in in, uh, in consequence, he himself was overthrown. The the Americans tend to forget that. It seems to me it's such a pity because a lot of Iranians, and I've just been there a couple of months ago have quite a good feelings about the United States. There's a, a diaspora of Iranians around the world, especially in Europe and the United States, who really uh, empathise very much with America. But when, when you've got these hawks in Washington and when you've got a president who is so antagonistic to Iran, it's very hard to see whether peace will continue or improve. Well, if you give look at the situation at the moment in Syria, and as you say, the long conversation that uh, is leading uh, places like America in tandem with Israel's interests to actually target uh, a huge uh, country like Iran, you'd have to say that it's not about the people on the ground. It's actually about uh, uh, economics and power. Would that be correct? It's about economics and power. It's about a legacy of of uh, anger and hatred between the two countries. It's about cultural differences. Uh, you're right. Uh, Iran is a huge country with 82 million people. It's not, not going to be overthrown the way Iraq was. But um, I, I worry about it, it taking place. Ironically, the Americans have been fighting with the Iranians against ISIL in Syria, and they don't they don't admit this one to each other, either Tehran or Washington admits this, but they're both on the same side. America wanted to overthrow Assad, one of the other countries on his hit list. That hasn't succeeded because the Chinese and the Russians have backed him, and uh, the Americans are pretty frustrated about that too, at least uh, President Trump is. Uh, the Israel, It's been proven, it's been shown by... Uh, uh, um Research that uh, Israel has the stu- has been um, found to have done uh, uh, kills in uh, Iran, as well as uh, done uh, uh, cyber attacks on um, Iranian uh, nuclear plants. That that's uh, it's quite clear that uh, Israel is interested in targeting Iran. It, it, uh, oh, Israel would like to. Uh, Israel would very much like to overthrow the Iranian regime if they could. But um, I think they also are daunted by the fact that that Iran is a proud and large country with a huge, a huge historical background. 
Israel has no strategic depth. Israel is a small country armed to the teeth with nuclear weapons and other weapons, mainly supplied by the United States. So in military terms, they're overwhelmingly more powerful than Iran. Iran has history and geographical depth, and I think a strong conviction among the people that they're just not going to allow any country now to take them over. They fought an eight-year war against Iraq between 1980 and 1988. During that time, the Americans encouraged the Iraqis. In fact, the Americans were supplying uh, the, the components of poison gas that was used on the Western Front between Iran and Iraq. And yet we have Nikki Haley, the um, permanent representative to the United Nations, standing up and sanctimoniously saying in the Security Council that we must never let, allow poison gas to be used. And, of course, that was an accusation against Assad, completely forgetting that the Americans had been supplying it to Iraq during that war. So the, there are double standards here. There, there, there are bad things happening. Uh, I just keep my fingers crossed that it won't occur and that, the, that Trump will be talked out of it. He's such a mercurial man who doesn't have a great deal of depth about or understanding of foreign policy. Uh, perhaps he could be dissuaded from attacking Iran. And he's already said he'd like to meet the leaders. But how could the leaders meet him when he, he and Pompeo and, and Pence have been so insulting about the regime? If we come back to Australia and our role in this, Pine Gap is a significant, plays a significant role in American strategic military strategy, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. And Pine Gap would we, look. We are we, as President Turnbull, uh, Prime Minister Turnbull said, yeah, that was a I slip. Think quite unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> we are we are joined at the hip militarily with the United States and. Uh, many of my colleagues, former diplomats, and I, and we think that this is just too much and that we should try to distance ourselves from the United States. They should remain, of course, our friends. They are culturally, historically, but in other senses, it's dangerous to have such a close dependence on them and to have a president who is so uh, ignorant about world, the world situation and, as I said, so mercurial about, about his decisions. It's a very dangerous situation we're in. If if it were to happen, and Australia, of course, went lockstep with America, that would place us in an invidious legal position, wouldn't it? Yes, it would, especially if... Well, to invade another country is illegal international, international law anyway. Trump doesn't care about that. To threaten a country with nuclear weapons, as he's done, is also illegal, but he doesn't care about that either. Now, Australia, unfortunately, we have military assets, naval, air and ground forces already in the Middle East, based in Dubai, but in, in uh, around the Gulf. And uh, we're all, all already, of course, training uh, uh, Iraqi forces. And, um, you know, it could uh, we, we've already got the forces in place that could simply be transferred into a, a combined um, coordinated uh, uh, invasion force against Iran. As I said earlier, I just hope it doesn't happen. But there is... The factors are there, and I think we have a government, as I said, that has no imagination, no courage to face up to the fact that Australia should distance itself from the United States. Unfortunately, the opposition isn't isn't much better. We don't have a proper foreign policy dialogue in Canberra. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? Um, we're, we're involved in so many things, but uh, we're, we're basically uh, babies when it comes to actually expressing a cogent... Uh, discussion. That's one way of putting it. We, we are infantile in the fact that Australia 
has never, we have never had governments that say, all right, we're an independent, medium-sized country, we should be standing on our own feet. And the same thing is happening with China. Uh, we have a, a fear uh, and a dependence on the United States that continues, despite the fact that America is no longer a reliable ally. We still have uh, an establishment in Canberra that clings to the, the, the fiction that the ANZUS Treaty will protect Australia. It won't. Is there a? I know that IPAN has uh, alerted people to this uh, possible uh, future event. Uh, is there a timeline that people are imagining uh, that we should be no, looking it, out for? Not really. It's 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 always a mistake to try and predict these things. They're unpredictable. As I, I've I've just spent three weeks in Iran. As I said, the war drums are beating. I, I get very frustrated with some of the more belligerent statements of the Iranian leadership when they talk about driving the Israelis into the sea, when they talk about attacking Israel as former President Ahmadinejad did, it simply uh, sends a signal to the right wing in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem that we must be strong and powerful. And it just escalates the, the rhetoric. It, it should, I, I, wish, I wish the Iranians would shut up a bit sometimes. But on the other hand, they're, they're quite justifiably indignant at the fact that Trump has walked away from the JCPOA, which took such a long time to negotiate and is a, is a very sensible treaty, and they've followed sedulously all the, all the terms of it. So it's, it's just a, it's a real problem that we have at present. And as I said, one cannot predict what will happen. Uh, before I let you go, as you said, you've just been to Iran. Uh, I had the impression of Iran as being a fairly uh, complex, uh, you know, the population has a variety of very complex, uh, um, sophisticated people. Uh, that message that we're going to uh, drive the Israelis into the sea, that must be being played for a different type of audience. Well, yeah, it, it's difficult. The, the, the Iranians, uh, as you say, they're a mixture. You've got, they're, they're basically Shiites, uh, uh, Muslims, but you also have Christians and Druze and Jews and, and a whole range of Zoroastrians, you've got the, which is one of the oldest religions in the world. And they have seats in the Majlis, the parliament. There is a tolerance in Iran. There is a sophistication there. And when you meet some of the Iranians who come out of Iran, they're very sophisticated indeed. But um, the, 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 there's a, I think most Iranians, it's, a, it's in many ways a very articulate country, articulate people, well knowledgeable about things, but when they get threatened so, uh, so uh, with, without conditions by President Trump, I think people tend to draw behind their leader, draw behind Rouhani and support him and, uh, and the Ayatollah Khamenei. <clears throat> and that, that, I think, is a factor that, that makes cohesion in Iran. And so we have to just hope that um, nothing comes from it. Not, nothing, there should be no conflict. That's simply the hope that we have. Thanks very much for talking to me, Richard. It's a great pleasure. Thank you very much. This is Ari Lecker. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks. 
And I thought after we talked to Richard Bronowski around the issue of potential attack on Iran, uh, we might go to a little uh, piece from uh, Sean Bedlam from the comedy debate. Will Trump tweet us to oblivion? Uh, Just a warning, there's a, a few naughty words. Now, Sean Bedlam's a a comedian, a satirist and an activist and he's told me that he's done this uh, debate a lot of times and he's still no good at it. So uh, please welcome the self-effacing Sean Bedlam. Yeah, I'll give that a go. Hey, hi, 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 hi. America has lost its innocence for the nine millionth time. Good for them. Will Donald Trump tweet us into oblivion? Yes, yes, I think so. Yes, yes, definitely. What was that? Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm enjoying saying yes because in the near future we're going to be saying no a lot. No. Oh, God, no. Oh, please. No. No, 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 no. 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 It's weird to write jokes about the end of the world when you definitely know it's actually going to happen. Uh, It's... Do, do we just point and laugh at it like it's happening to someone else? It's actually it's a good coping mechanism. When we start to sacrifice children in great numbers, which we obviously must to uh, at least attempt to appease the gods, um, it won't work, but we've got to leave some small skeletons for future civilizations to dig up so they know we weren't in complete denial about our situation. Um, <laughs> I'm against child sacrifice, by the way. (laughs) Mainstream media, uh, not thinking beyond getting eyeballs on screens, poured their energy into making Trump president. Um, Like, imagine, imagine being an American in America and thinking, I've never seen a fuckwit before. Let's tell everyone, every day, for as long as it takes to make him president. Wow. The entire political class must be exterminated. Oh, hang on, no, I was supposed to edit that bit out. That's from my personal diary, sorry. Uh, Ronald Reagan was a senile moron. W was a moron, moron. Bill Clinton and Barack Obama were egomaniac morons. Donald Trump isn't even a person. Uh, (laughs) His behaviour doesn't form a pattern. Uh, You can't... There aren't any human emotions available that you can react to him with in any way. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, right on. Since Trump won dickhead behaviour has gone viral, it has exploded. Uh, Conspiracy theorising has... It's gone... um, People in denial of the fact that he won, like, uh, that's not helping, but he's there. Are you going to walk into his office and say, get out? No, anyway, it doesn't matter. Will Donald Trump... Tweet us into oblivion. Yes, he will, along with everyone on Twitter tweeting at him. Uh, If you want to feel like a massive dickhead, tweet at Donald Trump. The experience of emptiness is... (laughs) 
the best. Uh, you can get on Twitter and be conversating with grassroots people all around the world easily. Instead, it's, it's, it's Mr. Not My President. Hang on, I've got to read this carefully because it's poetry. Mr. Not My President, you have a fat, misshapen head. Your head is fucked. Get a better head. That's, that's better than most of them. I wrote that one, so... <laughs> it's not really indicative of... I'm, by the way, I'm not knocking childish uh, insults or infantile tantrums. They are my only pleasure. Um, so normally, a US president is supposed to act as a nice figurehead, masking the true horror. In this case, what's happened is not only the mask, but the face has fallen off. And, yeah, it's, we're just staring into the bloody eye sockets of... Um... And the USA will not go quietly when they finally launch their nukes in every direction. Um, will at least be set free from listening to nice Americans apologising for their presidents. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, America. You know, seriously. Uh, again, impeach Trump, uh, arrest and put in jail whoever replaces him, <laughs> set fire to the White House, uh, kill the 1%, this is all in that order, by the way, um, or shut the fuck up, America. Seriously, stop talking shit. There is some good news. Long after the USA extinguishes humanity, that's us, the remaining creatures of Earth will be choked by our plastic, so there won't even be anything left on Earth to judge our memory. So that's, that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, just a little, it's, not all, it's not all bad news. Yes, Donald Trump will tweet us into oblivion, and I'm ready. Uh, we've had a go. Let's enjoy, let's enjoy the time we have left by... Um, what does it say here? Oh, ending the lives of as many powerful people as we can. Oh, okay. So we can at least face the end with some nice memories. <laughs> Imagine, like, no one has ever been on the deathbed and thought, oh, I murdered too many wealthy people. It's not possible. <laughs> anyway. uh, it says here, death to America, but I'm not going to say that. That's ridiculous. Thank you.
Yes. Very cheery beginning of the Saturday morning Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR, I must say. Uh, it, it might uh, actually reflect the fact that I've been reading a J- James Elroy book, which is a bit uh, disturbing if anybody knows what that means. Anyway, we're moving on to some further disturbing news, which is uh, the Turnbull government uh, has just been uh, passing, busy, busy passing laws that... Uh, uh, it should make you very scared. The Turnbull government recently introduced legislation into Parliament designed to lower the threshold for calling out the Australian Defence Force to assist state police forces with public incidents. Now, this uh, is uh, quite bizarre, in a sense. You think, what what is the threat? Uh, the Several proposed new powers for the uh, Australian Defence Force personnel are set out under paragraphs 46, 7G, H and I. These allow the military to provide security, question people and compel them to produce documents, as well as allowing them to operate a facility, machinery or equipment. They can be used for uh, strike-breaking, for example, uh, throwing us back to uh, the uh, coal mining strikes in the 1940s where the uh, and earlier, much earlier, in the 1890s uh, when the uh, Defence Force was brought out to uh, attack um, uh, uh, and to protect the wool uh, products coming out of uh, when there was the massive uh, strike, uh, pastoralist strike, the strike against... Uh, that basically was the uh, precursor to the development of the Labor Party, in fact, uh, if you have a long enough history. But anyway, uh, we followed up uh, the the laws that were passed uh, by the Turnbull government recently called the Espionage and Foreign Interference Bill, uh, which you will remember was uh, touted because we had to protect our national interest and it had to be hurried up because uh, of the uh, upcoming by-elections, which happened on the 28th of July, because there's evidence that uh, our uh, electoral process was being interfered with uh, by foreign interests. Uh, however, uh, the uh, the laws are uh, being called uh, an attack a fundamental attack on uh, Australian democracy. And I got to speak to Fahim Khan, who's a senior lawyer with the Criminal Defence Lawyers Australia, about what it actually means. So let's hear what Fahim had to say. Let's start off with you telling me who you are and why you're prepared to speak to me about this. You're, you're part of Sydney Criminal Lawyers? Um, so I'm part of... I'm a senior lawyer with the Criminal Defence Lawyers Australia. Great. Um, which is an affiliate of Sydney Criminal Lawyers. Um, the principals of both the organisations have worked together uh, for many number of years. Okay, and so why why we're talking today is about the uh, new uh, laws that have been passed by the federal government, uh, the uh, government's espionage and foreign interference bill, which was passed uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it's been called uh, a bill that basically is dismantling Australian democracy. Would you say that that was a fair statement? I would say that's an accurate statement of what the law um, or the effect of the law is. What, what the law is trying to achieve essentially is set um, draconian rules and um, laws in effect to significantly 
curtail um, right to freedom of speech and, and open uh, peaceful protests, for example. It's even gagging any protests towards um, corporations or even suppressing um, reporters from publishing um, information that could be deemed is in the uh, against the national interests or against the national security of Australia. And using very vague definitions of those terms in the law and the massive penalties, it is, in effect, significantly eroding the civil rights and liberties of Australian citizens. Now, let's go through it. So under the Division 82 of the Code, public infrastructure includes all Commonwealth property as well as the premises of corporations providing utilities or services of any kind to the public. Now, if they're damaged by uh, demonstrators, for example, uh, standing on a a railway line, stopping coal from being transported, for example, that could actually be considered to be sabotage or they could incur huge penalties. And and that's absolutely correct. Um, What it is doing is essentially stopping any sort of peaceful protest or any protest against against wrongdoings by, uh, let's say, for example, any corporations. So, so you are absolutely right in just simply blocking the, the access to a mine or simply speaking against corporations, even not even physically interfering, but simply verbally demonstrating, can amount to a criminal offence and the penalties for those are, are far excessive compared to um, more serious crimes in Australia. Well, well, it says here that the maximum penalty for intentionally carrying out such actions is 20 years imprisonment and for recklessly doing so, it could be 15 years. That's correct. And, and when, when one were to compare it to, um, let's say, offences such as, just to give you an example, an assault causing bodily harm, where if someone assaulted another person and caused serious damage to the face, for example, the penalty for those offences are a maximum of five years. Uh, and now you compare that to offences such as this, it carries 20 years. It's almost close to a lifetime imprisonment. And, and it's interesting because if people wanted to understand this a bit more carefully in relation to free speech and democratic uh, rights, uh, you look at the um, effects on journalism, for example, the de- definition of nation- national security includes countries' political, military or economic relations with another country or other countries. And according to the Attorney-General's office, it's possible to communicate this information through publication of news. What has happened is simply reporting on, um, let's say, for example, breaches of international humanitarian law or simply reporting on... On, on actions taken or, or um, things done by the Australian government could fall within that definition of what a national security is. And what's, what's more significant is that the onus of proof is not necessarily on the prosecution for these charges to prove that there was uh, some sort of effect or damage on the country's political, military or economic relations. It rather presumes that that has happened simply by the nature of the information and then the onus is on the accused or the defendants to prove that it didn't or that there was a breach or that it was reported on on a public interest basis. How is it possible for uh, legislation 
to be created that is completely contrary to our common law? Because that's what that is. Well, absolutely, absolutely. And um, it, it ultimately comes down to Australia not having an entrenched bill or a charter of rights. So, for example, if one were to compare to the United States, they have um, the Fourth Amendment that gives protection. They have the Constitution that gives protection, whereas in Australia we lack such such protection, such fundamental protection in our laws or in our Constitution. There is also not a strict separation of powers between the government and the judicial system. And as such, if the parliament does uh, pass laws that clearly and unambiguously rebut a civil right or civil liberty or completely uh, rebut the common law position, then unfortunately the judiciary system is bound to follow those laws. And with these new uh, legislation and bills that have been passed, one would say it's ultimately a matter of time before a matter goes to high court to test on those bases. Whether it is constitutional and whether it is within the uh, ambit of our constitution and the protection. And I would, at this point, I would like to say um, that High Court Justice Brennan, he made a, a, a remark at one point, and, and this captures the situation very succinctly and nicely. Justice Brennan said, it would be a parody of democracy to confer on the people of power to choose their parliament, but then to deny the freedom of public discussion from which the people derive their political judgments. And that is exactly what is happening here. There is lack or rather a curtailing, a restriction of, of openly exchanging criticism of government actions or simply having peaceful protests or speaking out against corporations that may or may not be, be complying with the law properly. And any of those actions would eventually become a criminal action against the individual or the group. And one can then simply use their imagination to go where our country is leading from that point on. Which is sort of it brings us to the point of uh, things like uh, the, the disclosure that uh, uh, the Australian government bugged the East Timorese officers when they were in the middle of negotiating uh, outcomes for the Timor Sea uh, oil reserves. Now, th- this is a case in point, isn't it? I mean, the person who... Uh, made that known publicly is now in an invidious position because uh, that could be called or w- and has been called working against the interests of Australia, despite um, the fact that the Australian government acted in an illegal way. Most certainly, um, those actions does fall within the ambit of what, what constitutes Australia's national security, and it is against the country's political or uh, economic relations. Um, And as such, clearly, even though there is a fundamental um, basis for disclosing those to the public, it unfortunately becomes a criminal action sanctioned by the the parliament and the government against that individual. And ultimately, the effect, realistically, is it erodes or corrodes the credibility of that individual to the point that that person's life is ruined simply for uh, trying to advocate something that the public of Australia needs to know, must know. Acting in an Um, ethical fashion, in fact. Exactly. Um, And and that is ultimately the whole fabric of democracy. Yeah. Mm. I was just going to say that um, uh, 
the method by which this uh, legislation came forward and then was passed is very interesting in itself. Uh, the LNP government put it forward. Our Attorney-General has said that it has to be passed immediately because there's a potential foreign interference in our electoral process. This is the ostensible reason for doing this. And my question is, where is the evidence or the proof of that? Simply stating that um, in a general fashion doesn't, doesn't do justice, isn't fair for the Australian public. Um, if there was indeed such a real threat, one could take a different approach to uh, investigating that further. Australia is a country that's developed its law over many generations, over many centuries, and there are laws in effect that could protect Australia from such international interference. I, I do, and I'm aware of some of the commentaries made in relation to the acceleration of passing that bill, namely to do it before the by-elections, but it is ultimately uh, very surprising. And in the process, the entire consequences of the legislation, um, the, the lack of consultations with relevant organisations, the, the whole fair approach that needs to be undertaken wasn't done. And as a result, we're now faced with um, such draconian laws that could have severe effect on anyone's lives. Well, it's draconian laws that are being directed to the Australian public, not the ostensible uh, reason for why it should have been in the put in the first place, which was outside foreign interference. This is not actually apples and apples here. Th- that's correct. Um, but there would be um, difficulties policing laws with foreign nationals outside of Australia. Uh, there would be jurisdictional questions um, and there would be uh, international law issues which would prohibit Australia from enforcing any of its um, laws and rules outside of its borders. I guess what I'm really saying is that if there was a serious issue of that sort, uh, it, curtailing the behaviours of individuals within Australian borders probably wouldn't actually resolve that issue. No, it wouldn't. Um, my opinion is the, the effect of these laws to achieve what uh, the Parliament has indicated it was uh, trying to achieve is, is one of the ineffective ways of going about doing it. And I do agree with what you've said. Um, the consequences of it are far worse and the price that has to be paid are far worse compared to what it's actually trying to achieve is to prevent the foreign interference uh, in the upcoming elections. It's interesting too that um, the Civil Liberties Australia has pointed out that there, since uh, 9-11, Australia has enacted 67 national security bills which have been enacted at federal level and there hasn't been any uh, oversight, auditing of these uh, of these bills that have been already put in place. That, that's correct. And even though charges laid under the new laws or those laws passed since 1911 um, are far few, um, the fact is that those laws are still in effect. They can still be exercised and a person could still be guilty or could still be criminally liable by doing something as innocent as what we've been saying so far um, and still be liable or be labelled as a terrorist and act against the national interest of security of Australia. Should Australians in general be suspicious of this government's motives, do you think? Well, that, that is a very broad question and 
I think the very first step would be that Australia needs to be more aware of these laws and how it's affecting the civil, the, the integral and the inherent civil rights and liberties of an individual. I believe that, in my personal opinion, that that level of awareness or that level of education is um, is surprisingly very low. Um, if one were to go on and speak to a general public member, it wouldn't surprise me if they are unable to um, indicate how their civil rights and liberties are impacted and curtailed, and especially in a democratic country such as ours, where freedom of speech, where an open criticism is necessary and is fundamental, curtailing those just, just indicates that we're not longer a democratic country. We're no longer tolerant of diversity or of dissent, and we're simply moving towards an authoritarian government country where we are dictated by what we can do and not do. And from a criminal lawyer's perspective, it goes very um, to the very basis of innocent until proven guilty. And where does the onus of proof lie? How far do the prosecution or the police need to go to prove that someone is guilty? And it's curtailing or reversing those very basic fundamental rights is where the concerns arise in my mind. Essentially, the lack of education and awareness by general public of that being happening. And I would say that uh, people who are making uh, protests that are related to the environment and a whole range of things of that nature would actually argue that there is obviously a clear difference between what they believe is in the national interests and, uh, say, corporations that want to... Uh, and governments that want to, uh, say, frack or do fracking or something of that nature. Like, what's in dispute is actually what is in the national interest. That's correct. And um, eventually these would be matters that are are tested through the courts and with the High Court setting down an interpretation or an precedent of what would constitute actions under those definitions of uh, national interest and national security. But these are things that would need to happen over time, over long periods of time. Ultimately, if the parliament has implemented these legislation um, to curtail the civil liberties in a clear and unambiguous way, and the High Court does find that is the case, then we're all ultimately bound to follow that law. It is then a matter of statutory powers on the parliament to review the laws after so many years, but the law does still stay in effect and is lawful, even though it's curtailing um, our inherent civil rights and liberties, uh, especially freedom of speech. And when that scenario happens and when we're in that position, then it ultimately comes down to what's in the favour of the government at the time and whether or not they do indeed like what's happening. If it is against their interests or against their motives, then those actions would become unlawful and criminalised. If they are aligned with the interests and motive, then one may see that prosecution is not prosecuting those um, actions or offences against the individuals. Well, we live in dangerous times, it would seem to me. From from what I understand, uh, we may need to get permission of um, our everyday activities from the government at every stage in life. Um, Hmm. to completely protect ourselves. Thank you very much for spending time with me and talking to me about this. No problem. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to 3CR.
A weak solidarity bricking team listener when our hearts go out to the poor caring business class. But first, on today's programme, the Downham family is the most prestigious, elitist, true blue Aussie values family true blue Aussie has ever known. A long, proud line of nation builders. Yes, he's back. After we thought we'd lost him to the week that was, Alexander has made a comeback and we'll come to that story later, but first... No, just before that, this is true, listener, a definite Freudian. When I checked the start of that item, I typed nut first, and I thought, that's a Freudian if ever I saw one. Anyway, first, a week when our hearts go out to the poor caring business class, so straining under the yoke of regulation that they haven't time to pick up a few little mistakes. Highlighted this week by the new big supremo financial whiz kid, AMP on the customers, David Morey for me. Ex-big supremo of the witch bank, which used to be our bank. Talk about the frying pan into the fire. David blamed the yoke of regulation for AMP on the customers. Few little mistakes like charging the peed on without providing any services and ripping off big time. Leading lots of other corporate favourites of the week that was to back him to the hilt. The other risk with over-regulation, David delivered his coup de grace, as our case proves, you can get sprung. Like evil Iran being sprung sticking to an agreement, and last week in discussing US of the UN of the US of the world, big supremo Donald Trump or the poor's righteous anger over evil Iran sticking to an agreement and threatening, righteous Donald threatening, that is, they will pay with the greatest firepower the world has ever known, ever, ever. The positive is, we said within a week or 3,000 tweets later, whichever came first, Iran could be Donald's new very, very close friend, and true to form, he's already tweeting about a meeting. And this week I thought, perhaps he can fix these conflicts to boost his campaign for what would be a truly worthy Nobel Peace Prize. After all, his predecessor celebrated his Nobel laureate by bobbing the proverbial out of and slaughtering the bad guys throughout the eight-year big supremacy. So it doesn't, re- doesn't restrict your capacity to utilise all those beautiful weapons of mass destruction. Just ensure you kill and slaughter and destroy for peace. Assisted in this case, we repeat, given the one supporter cheering and waving their joint star flags is Zion Big Supremo Benjamin, not another Yahoo, ensuring the US of merchants of death can feel pretty secure their merchandise is in for a workout. Speaking of attacking people, back to our big item. The Downham family is the most prestigious, elitist, true blue Aussie values family true blue Aussie has ever known. We are a long, proud line of nation builders. Yes, he's back and haven't we missed him, taking off the Spit the Dummy of the Week award in a no contest after the bloody voters rejected his daughter's dynastic right after she had been good enough to return from Victoria, to which she'll now probably return again to give them the chance to be represented by True Blue Aussie's most prestigious, elitist, long, proud line of nation builders. Voters who are haters, 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 and newcomers, parvenus, who had no right to vote in the first place. 
a classic example of the mistake legislators made when they established universal franchise and allowed the hateful riffraff to vote. The landed aristocracy knew and know what's good for this country and its people, the nation-building values of generations of Downhams. And he's right in all ways. Alexander and his proud line are responsible with their peers for those nation-building values we all love and cherish. From caring employers treating lazy, avaricious workers so generously as equals, to our proud invasions of bad guys all over the world, to our compassion toward refugees fleeing those invasions. And Alexander quite reasonably decried the Whitlam nation-destroying socialist government for destroying one of his rightful legacies. But for these hateful socialist newcomers, I would be Sir Alexander. No, no, Lord Downham. But let's reflect on the great moments of nation building, cheering us up with his hysterical joke about domestic violence and bashing women, one of the prime subjects for humour, and didn't we fall about? Very, very funny and contributing to nation building by being the straw that broke, even for that lot, and seeing them ditch poor old Alexander as opposition leader and potential big supremo. Imagine that. And of course, Alexander's brilliant diplomatic coup planting listening devices in Timor-Leste to assist that nation-building resource giant Woodside with capital, and he sure did and does, and true Aussie get their non-greedy hands on Timor-Leste's resources. Great forward thinker, Alexander. Alexander, your Spit the Dummy Award is on its way. I wonder if that is the last we'll hear of him. Let's hope so. On that Super Saturday, well, I suppose it was because the top team played the third team on the MCG in a two-candidate election. On that, on the Friday, Lord Rupert's perspicacious and finely balanced political analyst, James Campbell. Bill's under siege and he knows it. The True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review's perspicacious and finely balanced political editor, Philip Curry. Labor's nuclear option might just as easily self-explode. Philip Curry, by the way, it's illegal now to use the scab word, so I wouldn't dream of it, worked through the last Falfax strike. And also, Capitalist Review, same day, a brilliant think piece by perspicacious, finely balanced head of the True Blue Aussie Institute for Progress, another invaluable think tank, Graham Young, why it's Labor that's copping the Longman protest vote. Another tough one for us, listener, but pick who got it wrong. Thankfully, big supremo Malcolm Tunner Bull didn't get it wrong. He never at any stage suggested the caring business class party had the slightest chance of winning and chastised journalists who somehow got the impression he had given that impression. And listener, must admit it's amazing how we can get the wrong impression. I could have sworn. But Malcolm said it was so, so it must be so. Just left to ponder why he'd spent so much time and energy on something so hopeless. But Malcolm said so, and Malcolm is an honourable man. So are they all, all honourable men. 
apparently there's no honourable women, but maybe that's before Mark Antony met Cleopatra, as interpreted by the Bard. But anyway, that most honourable of honourable men, Lord Rupert of Wapping, rubbing his hands excitedly as his relentless campaign to have the pejorative Dan government nailed for this rorts for votes issue reaches a climax. Front page after front page, double spread after double spread, perfectly timed four months out from an election, Lord Rupert hopes, with a little help from himself, will correct the mistake four years ago when we the people got it so wrong. A mistake Lord Rupert has never let us forget. And allegations both major parties were involved in rorts for votes has received six single column pars P2 where you bury such items in Lord Rupert's whopping sin. And even then, twisted into an attack on the pejorative Dan for daring play tit for tat. How dare you raise the minor fact that the other lot did the same thing. What's wrong? God, this is naive, I admit even before I say it, if they both wrought at the public purse with nailing them both. But Lord Rupert knows that is naive and plain wrong. Justice on the one hand, a most distressing, unnecessary miscarriage of on the other. And Lord Rupert is an honourable man. Speaking of Lord Rupert, most disturbing headline in Monday's Whopping Sin. Alarm as thugs pose as cops. And we can understand the problem, because how could anyone tell the difference? Back on miscarriages of justice, our hearts not only go out this week to the poor corporate giants suffering from regulation, but spare a thought for poor Michaelia Kosh the workers, as that little raid on a union office in the full glare of the tipped-off media, Michaelia, as then Minister for Caring Business Class Relations in charge of the whole thing, knew absolutely nothing about. Nothing, nothing, nothing has been referred to the DPP, the Director of Public Prosecution, to consider possible charges. Come on. McCallion knew nothing about it. Okay, her entire office staff spent the entire day orchestrating the whole thing, but how would McCallion have the slightest idea? And injustice isn't restricted to True Blue Aussie. What a miscarriage of justice in the Colombian Constitutional Court where the big Aussie, bloody huge profits, bloody huge polluter, offshoot, south 32 billion plus, was ordered to pay damages to communities around its nickel mine. There it is doing its bit to help the local people through the goodness of its corporate heart and what thanks. And also ordered to provide permanent health care just because there's been a little bit of lung cancer and rheumatoid pneumoconiosis, which you get by breathing dust and particles, in the seven indigenous and Afro-Columbian communities surrounding the mine. Especially when South 32 Bill Plus produced its very own medical report, which, surprise, surprise, Price said there was no connection between the mine and all this disease surrounding the mine. And South 32 Bill Plus said it's wrong that laws can be modified by a court process, which is what normally happens, but let's ignore that. And we will comply with the law of the land, but don't change the rules halfway through. A very strong argument. How dare they change the rules just because of a little bit of disease, a little bit of lung cancer and pneumoconiosis. Quite properly, poor South 32 Bill Plus has thought to have the ruling annulled and, if not, threatens to seek international arbitration. 
And so, finally, given Colombia has a long history of bending over backwards to appease great international corporates, including its military killing workers who kick up the odd fuss about wages, conditions, safety, then the evidence must have been overwhelming, exacerbating the terrible miscarriage of justice poor South 32 Bill Plus is suffering. Good morning. Yes, thanks, Kevin. This is the week that was. This is Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. We're now going to move on to uh, something more local in terms of government approach to uh, law and order. We're in Victoria and we're coming up to the next state election, November the 24th. And uh, if you've been living here, you'll be aware that the local Victorian Liberals are aided and abetted by the federal libs, have been making statements around youth gangs and in particular focusing on African youth. This has been uh, uh, promoted, you'd have to say, on Channel 7 News uh, in particular. And it was very interesting last night, uh, Channel 7 News, one of its uh, repeated headlines from... uh, Four o'clock onwards was a report about an incident that happened at a football match in Warrnambool, of all places. It was obviously uh, sent to them by a shaky uh, telephone um, uh, camera uh, of a uh, one, an incident where a footballer uh, punched another footballer in the face and broke his jaw. It turns out that this particular uh, person who did the punching was on parole. But interestingly enough, this person is also a black man, uh, Aboriginal, I think. But the point is that uh, I began to think, when are we going to get the pitchforks out? When when are we going to get pitchforks? Channel 7 News' headline is... uh, a uh, football thug should be put back in jail, but it and it slowly but surely brings out this uh, conversation that uh, they've built from the ground up into a major story, which is basically an event that happened in a coastal town in Victor- rural Victoria, which can be dealt with there rather than made into an event where the public is supposed to put place bets on how law and order is being uh, dealt uh, and uh, the with the potent uh, images of uh, football, fairness, Aboriginal, prisoner, that type of thing. It, it's actually quite shameful. And there was an event outside uh, Channel 7 News uh, headquarters down in Docklands on the 28th that was uh, put together by South Sudanese youth, uh, Australians, but of South Sudanese uh, descent, uh, calling for some... Uh, uh, calling the Channel 7 News people out uh, as shameful and bringing their voice to the public around the events that have been uh, affecting their community. So I went down there. I've got some voices from that particular event. And then we're going to have a yarn with Megan Fitzgerald from the uh, Fitzroy Legal Service, hopefully, around the new laws that are being proposed to uh, deal with this youth explosion of youth gangs that are apparently mozzing everybody and making everybody frightened to go out to uh, restaurants in Melbourne. Unbelievable stuff. To stand against racism.
stand against this campaign, against our community that's been happening for a while. If we look around, we see people from all races, people from my community, other communities, all together to stand for one thing, and I think that's beautiful. I think this is Australia that we need to continue with. I think this is the future that we should be moving forward. So thank you for everyone that came out to support against this. We're here today because, especially within the youth of my community, we felt like now, with racism being pushed to the forefront of journalism on big companies that are supposed to be um, the the people that are we supposed to look up to in terms of what they're doing within media, they are failing with their jobs. What's happening is that the constant talk about these African gangs is simply aren't true, right? It's having a negative impact on the youth within our community. So we thank you for everyone coming in solidarity. Um, yeah, I'd like to invite up Edie to have a welcome to country and show our respect to the indigenous community and their plight within this nation as well. So if everyone can just, you know, give her a hand, some applause or something. <laughs> Hello. So before we kick off all of our speeches and chants and rallies and saying a big old hello to Channel 7 behind us, uh, I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we are gathered here today, the Wurundjeri and the Bumburang people of the mighty Kulin Nations. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. This land was stolen, sovereignty never ceded. I would therefore like to acknowledge all of the atrocities, the rapes, the land clearings and the massacres that have occurred on this land. There has been no sovereign agreement or treaty negotiated here. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So, you and Yadi Edi. My name is Edi and I am a proud Wiradjuri and Baladung woman uh, whose lands include central New South Wales, northern New South Wales and a bit northwest of Perth. And I'm the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organiser at the Victorian Trades Hall Council. Now, the reason we're here is quite simple. We're here because of a racist moral panic drummed up in a concerted effort by media and conservative politicians. Cheap pot shots, all in a cynical attempt, an, opportunity, an opportunistic attempt to win votes during an election season. And we know that this is entirely manufactured. And I'm not going to stand here and rattle off the facts and the figures that swiftly and single-handedly refute the absurd claims being made. Because the other side, that side, has no interest in the truth. We see this racist dog whistle rolled out time and time again. In the 1990s, it was old mate Pauline Hanson hooting and hollering about being swamped by Asians. She's at it again with Muslim people now. Uh, we had the Lebanese gangs crisis in Western Sydney in the late 90s. The place where I'm actually from and grew up and uh, can confirm, just as is now, the hysteria generated uh, there was based purely on myth. And then again in 2006 and 2007, and still it continues today, the failed uh, vote-winning dog whistle by John Howard, which brought with it the Northern Territory intervention. The dog whistle blowed, blown by Howard and backed in by the media, which brought with it an outrageously repressive scheme that has seen massive spikes in child removal, incarceration, homelessness, and represents the continue attempted, continued attempt in literal, physical and cultural genocide of this continent's original people. 
Now, these are just a few quick examples of a pattern that we see play out time and time again. And there's a common thread that emerges here. And that's conservative politicians and media sensationalism promoting and emboldening your average white fella to let their racist freak flag fly. And speaking of white fellas, as a Wiradjuri woman, I'm pretty damn sick of these fools telling me who I should be scared of. Because last time I checked, no African gang has spearheaded and continued a 230-year-long methodical and calculated program of genocide and assimilation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people on this country. Malcolm Turnbull and his cronies in government have absolutely no moral authority on this matter. They are the real criminals that we should be scared of, and this I know. I also know that an animal is the most uh, dangerous when it is seriously injured, and what we are living through right now is the desperate and dying breaths of a racist, capitalist, neoliberal neo political agenda that is scrambling for relevance in life. And this campaign of division and fear-mongering is happening because people are scared of us. And they're scared of us not because of the colour of skin or what our cultural identities may be. They are scared of the power and strength in our unity and solidarity. So the un in the union movement, we have a saying, touch one, touch all. Your struggle is my struggle. And on behalf of the Victorian Trades Hall Council and the mighty trade union movement, we are with you all the way. Because our liberations are bound together. And one person cannot be free until we are all free. So we stand united. And together we send Turnbull, Dutton, Channel 7 and all of their conservative mates a clear message. Your time is up. Solidarity forever, mates. I'm here today to simply speak for my community, a community that has had its voice taken away from it, has had media speak for who we are as people and represent an image that we are not. We are like anybody else within society, just trying to have our kids have a better future than we had, had a better life than we had. We have people in our community that do the wrong things, but that's just like any other community. I'm no different from anyone here. I felt the Channel 7's campaign against my community, for whatever reason they've chosen to do, has caused significant harm for the next generation coming up. I do not want to see my little cousins, my friends, suffering from what they have to go through within schools because Channel 7 keeps repeating the same images using the same Moomba footage, right, and spreading this image of who we are as people that's simply not true. The people that have to suffer for that are not the older generation. It is a young generation that is trying to assimilate into society. The people that are the majority, the people that are hardworking Australians, because we are Australians, the people that are trying to continue with their lives, that are trying to build on what they have been given. And we are grateful for the country that we are all in and the country that we share as a people. I'm here to speak for those people today. We came to Channel 7. To their, to their front door, Today, gates to show the, who we are as a community, to show that they haven't been representing us in the correct way, to show that my community is a complex community filled with loving individuals, and the image that they've been showing is not, it is not what my community is not about. It is not what my mother has taught me. It is not my, what the stories my grandmother has told me about my people. I'm here today to speak for them. I want to say that to have your leader, people that are in positions of power in politics, people that you have looked up to 
as a child in primary school, because I was in primary school singing the same national anthem as all the faces here, all the white faces, all the black faces, all the brown faces, believing in the same nation they were believing in. I was in those classes, and I was singing that anthem. To have that person that is re the representation of Australia come out and single out my community and say something about my community that is negative, that isn't true, and without coming in to speak to us, it is hurtful. I am not angry. I am disappointed within the leadership in our country for this. I want them to understand what they are doing to the young Australians and how they are affecting those young Australians. That's why I'm here today. I also want to make sure, and I want to reiterate, that we are not trying to take anything away from any victims. I am against anything bad happening to people. I don't want people to be harmed. I don't want any crime happening to people. And people should not have to feel worried about where they go. People should not have to see me on the train and feel like I am a threat to them because I am 6'5 and because I am black. Because I am more than that. I am more than my color. And it seems that that's been taken away from me. And the image that has been portrayed about who I am and who my brothers are and who my friends are and who my parents are has been taken away from them. The identity has been taken away from them. Now we are just judged as a black people do has been seen on TV, wilding out, doing all this stuff that isn't a representation of who we are. I just want people to understand the pain that that causes within a community. A community that's already going through trauma with people that don't have their parents or their fathers at home, people that are already struggling so much just to stay afloat, just to try and get by with their daily lives. The damage that that is doing to our community is inconceivable. And I don't feel that the wider Australian community sees the pain that we are going through to understand the pain that we are going through. To have people, to go online and see comments on the Channel 7 post saying you're effing N-word, you don't belong here, you should be different, you should go away. It makes me feel, it makes me feel pain. It's not anger, it's pain, it's trauma, it's depression that that brings. And for no one else to come and speak out for those children because those children happen to be black is just shameful. It is just shameful. So we want we want to thank everyone for coming out here. We want to tell Channel 7 that all we want is a fair goal within society, is a fair chance to show who we are as people, is balanced journalism, not lazy journalism. I have been in situations where I am hanging with my friends, I'm just with my friends, and something happens between a group of people, two people. And then I later on go home to see the 250 Sudanese youth were involved in an altercation in this, where I'm like, that is not the truth. There is deeper, but you failed to do your due diligence in journalism to see what the story was. And now you have represented my community in a way that we were not acting, in a light that we were not acting. And that's affecting the people that we do not communicate with, the people that, ha that don't have an opportunity to speak to members of my community, to understand who we are as people, the people that don't understand that we have dreams, we have aspirations, we are people to laugh, we are people to smile, we are complex individuals. We are like everyone else. The people that don't see that, if that is all they see about my community, that's what they think of my community. That's why they see a ding or a quad walking on the street, a 16-year-old that happens to be 6'5 and feel afraid, too afraid to go and have a conversation with them. What, is, what this is doing is taking away a social cohesion. It's making me feel like I can't go speak to my neighbor because if I see my neighbor and I say hi, my neighbor thinks that I want something else from him besides love, which is not the truth. The 2018 Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on the 11th of August at the Brunswick Town Hall. Stalls, books, projects and organisations fighting for a better world, here and abroad. Come for the stalls, stay for the workshops. 
Topics ranging from indigenous struggles and decolonization, climate change, anti-racism, unions, feminism, refugees, anarchy 101, and so much more. Interested in a stall? Email us on info at amelbournebookfair.org. That's info at amelbournebookfair.org. Or message us on our Facebook page, Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair 2018, a 3CR supporter. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and we've just got uh, Megan Fitzgerald on the line from the uh, Fitzroy Legal Centre. G'day, Megan. How are you? Morning. I'm a bit crook. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I just wanted uh, a little bit of... We've just been uh, listening to some voices from the uh, demonstration outside Channel 7 by the young Sudanese community, organised by them. Mm -hmm. And... um, in response to the Victorian and federal liberals basically beating up a storm around African youth gangs, uh, the Labor government here announced on Tuesday morning that laws it had established to tackle outlaw motorcycle gangs would be extended to those under 18. What, what are you, what's your reading of this? How is this going to affect uh, our... Uh, for a freedom of association, effectively, because that's what they're directing uh, this towards, who people can um, be hang around with. I guess the, the, the breadth of the laws is wide and probably the most important thing to be aware of is that you don't need to be associating with a gang um, and you also don't need to be... Uh, there doesn't need to be any, any reasonable belief that your association is um, going to be in furtherance of the criminal activity. Does that sound too legal? I mean, usually no, no, what that, we're trying to do... That means that uh, the police have ca- carte blanche, right? Well, kind of. I mean, it's basically if somebody's got a relevant prior and you're, they're your friend, um, you could get an order not to hang around with them. So the first issue is what that does to the rehabilitation ability of the person who's affected and then also um, what it does to everybody else um, or to the community generally when you're trying to police these kind of laws because uh, criminal record information is generally considered sensitive confidential information. So I don't know what your priors are. You don't know what mine are. And um, we're having a conversation right now, <laughs> and maybe we could become friends. <laughs> but um, we may not, never know what, what those, um, what, what 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 that history is, and it's kind of the way we, where we, way society works at the moment. Um, but the police will be able to decide that maybe we can't be friends because at some point we did um, a home invasion or one of the relevant. Priors, and that's really problematic because it used to be that it needed to have a strong nexus with us planning to do something criminal together. Which makes that makes sense. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Mm. And uh, they're talking yeah. about how this, when they say uh, this, could include uh, people as young as fourteen. Well, yeah, that's where it becomes. Um, it's very problematic to begin with, um, but. It's particularly problematic when you um, look at the situation of kids because generally under the law, children are treated 
very, very differently to adults. Um, and the reason why is that they are um, more vulnerable. Uh, vulnerable is a funny word, but we try to... The whole, the whole legal system tries to recognise that kids are our responsibility and it's our responsibility that they develop, that they have good opportunities to develop, that they have um, uh, an ability to um, integrate into various places like schools and I guess it's basically that thing of we're all sort of responsible for their evolution and participation in community life. And that used to extend a bit older as well, like we, we generally would treat people up to 21 pretty differently under the law. But um, what this means is that the under even, when, even when a kid's done a crime, a criminal act, under the Sentencing Act, their um, rehabilitation and their ability to participate in life and reducing stigma against that person is one of the core principles that it, even a judge has to think about. So what this law is doing is it works pretty much in the opposite direction. It says, if you've done something wrong... Um, we don't want you to be able to associate. We think that you're a risk to everybody else. Um, yeah, it's quite sad. Yeah, so <laughs> it's not what we want. And people are people are really, really um, distressed about it. Also, in Victoria, we've got a Charter of Human Rights, and um, that protects the rights of children specifically. Um, and it means that when we develop laws, we should be thinking about the best interests of the children. And there's also cultural rights to think about. Like, so for different cultures, including Aboriginal and other cultures, um, family is quite a broad concept. And narrowing down people's ability to be, you know, um, in community um, can have really, really significant effects on their ability to get better. Well, and without um, uh, tarring everybody with the same brush or anything like that, Australia has got a very poor uh, record with Aboriginal communities with a very high incarceration rate for um, members of uh, our First Nations people. That means, and as you said, people's family lives are much broader that would have consequences for these kind of laws. Will have consequences for people's ability to interact within their families. Yeah, and I think also, um, I mean, there is an exemption which is family, but family is a different thing to community, and community is quite a broad thing. And I'd argue that community is absolutely central to um, people's recovery. Um, not just their direct relations. Um, and then the other issue is there's a whole bunch of people who are like wards of the state, for example, or people living in resi care. Mm. It's really hard to see how these kinds of wards can work um, or what sort's really been given to it. It seems to be um, a pretty knee-jerk reaction. And I'm probably not expressing how just how... Um, stressed the legal community is and also the social services community or anyone who really understands what these laws could look like because they really require quite a lot of interference and surveillance and profiling in order to be used. And um, if they're not used, um, 
then that would be great, but it's unlikely. They're on the books. They've kind of been um, trumped up as being really important and really necessary. And it's probably a good time to mention that we haven't really ever had a proper analysis of whether we do have a gang problem, and I think that that's a very open question. Um, in fact, it seems that we probably don't have a youth gang problem um, any more than... I mean, you know, there's no, no strong evidence base that's been put forth for these laws. So that's really problematic as well. Politically motivated, question mark, question mark, question mark. Sorry? Politically motivated, perhaps. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a real problem that that um, law and order politics and racialised discourse seems to be the way politicians are um, running most elections, I think, state and federal. And um, I guess we need to ask the question, why is that happening? And how can we fight against it or make clear that that's not... Um, the way Parliament's going to win votes. Thanks for talking to us, Megan. Mm. I hope you're feeling no better. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, that was Megan uh, Fitzgerald from the uh, Fitzroy Legal Service. Yeah, very vexed issues we've been handling this morning. Coming up next is Asia-Pacific Currents. Uh, and... Uh, we went to Iran. We talked to Richard Bronowski. We uh, talked to Faram Khan about uh, the uh, laws that are going to curtail our um, democracy. We went on to uh, uh, listen to some voices from the Sudanese community and others from the event outside Channel 7 on the last Saturday. And uh, we just spoke to Megan Fitzgerald about the new association laws that uh, they're talking about bringing in. Anyway, we're, as I said, this is the end of the road. We're going to go through the exit door and uh, Eva Papu, Papu.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.